Well, good morning, brothers. It's uh, good to be up this morning and having a chance to share from God's Word together. I do miss seeing you personally, but I have to confess that this is really better than doing it at home and just in front of an iPad or something. We've got Luke and Max and Hunter here really working out all the technical stuff and getting us up to speed for other times we may have to, to do this online from weather uh, kind of keeping us out from being outside. We've got Stan here, so I've, I've got a, a few actual friendly faces here with me this morning, and I'm uh, glad, glad to be with you guys. L last week, Hunter gave us a really good introduction to uh, this false breakfast message series, uh, Follow Me, Lessons from the Lives of the Disciples. And so this morning, we're going to look particularly at Peter, Andrew, James, and John, uh, and the idea of I will make you fishers of men from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. I'm actually going to start in verse 17 of that. But last week, Hunter also left us some, some uh, the thesis for our semester. This is one we just want to keep in mind. If we get this one overarching big idea, it, it's going to be that Jesus uses ordinary men to uh, accomplish his extraordinary mission. And we're going to see that carried out today with these four fishermen who were not especially educated or prepared in rabbinic schools, but that they uh, were, were available and, and desirous to, to know Jesus, to follow Jesus. So Hunter also gave us a working definition of a disciple, saying that a disciple is called to faith in Jesus Christ, which would be salvation called to follow after Jesus Christ and to obey him, which would be sanctification or the idea of being made holy, and then to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ and to tell others about him. And that, that would be mission. And so today I'm just going to add one little fourth thing that fits in with particularly, I think, today's message and others. And that, that would be we're, we're called to family in Christ's church, that there's a corporate aspect of this. Discipleship is not an individual endeavor. It's a communal endeavor. It's this idea of the koinonia, uh, of coming together to help one another be conformed more to the likeness of, of Jesus. So um, our focal passage is from Matthew chapter 4, and it powerfully illustrates uh, that this theme. But Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 4 in your Bibles or your apparatus that you're using today, your device, whatever you have. But let's get into Matthew 4. I'm going to be reading from the ESV version here. And uh, last week in John chapter 1, we, we, we learned how tightly interwoven the ministry of John the Baptist was with the ministry of uh, of Jesus and the coming Messiah. So God, God has sent John the Baptist as this forerunner uh, to prepare the way for, for Jesus, to announce the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. And we, we also see Matthew saying that same truth, that John the Baptist was the forerunner that was preparing the way for Jesus and calling people to repent of their sins and to believe. And he had them be baptized as a sign of their repentance. It was not the baptism Jesus had. It was a baptism for repentance, showing that they had actually come to turn from their sin. And we learned last week in John 137 
that John the Baptist had some disciples of his own. He had followers that were accompanying him in his ministry of preaching and calling people to repent and baptizing them. And two of those disciples, one of them was unnamed, last week we saw followed Jesus. They left John as his disciples and they became disciples of Jesus. <clears throat> one of those two was named Andrew. And Andrew then went and got his brother Simon Peter and brought him so that he could also meet this Jesus, the one that they were believing to be the coming Messiah. And so with all that in mind, let's um, look at Matthew chapter 4. And again, I'm going to begin with verse 17 and go through 22. So from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. And going from there, they saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you just a big idea as we're starting out here today for this particular message, as I usually try to have a big idea. I hope, I hope it will be helpful to you. And the big idea is that when Jesus the King calls you to follow, the right answer is never, let me check my availability. Um, as a young Christian, I, I heard someone say, uh, delayed obedience is nothing more than disobedience. And, and the Lord has brought that phrase to mind many times over the years uh, since I first heard it. And it's, it's helped me through some of those times when I, I know he's called me to do something that I would really rather put off. And I have to remember that delayed obedience is really disobedience. So keeping those things in mind, as we get to our passage here, we, we see that when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, Jesus picked up where John the Baptist had left off. John the Baptist had been preaching this, this baptism of repentance, saying that the Messiah is coming. You've got to get ready. He's going to be here. And, and so J Jesus then uh, comes onto the scene, and where John left off by having to go to jail, Jesus picks right up there, and he starts preaching the same exact thing. Verse 17, then Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, this idea of repent, we'll recall, has is, is got a couple of Greek words in the New Testament to help us understand it. One of them is metanoia. It's a change of mindset. It's a whole change in the way we think. And that change of thinking leads to a change of living. It, it, it impacts the way that we actually live out our lives. And then there's one other word that means actually just to turn. It's, a, it's like a complete turnaround as we turn away from our self-ruled living and we turn to a Christ-ruled living, the, the King Jesus rule of his kingdom in our lives. So John was preaching baptism and he was preaching repentance. He was preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus came preaching repentance. He was preaching the kingdom of God. But there's one big difference between these two guys. 
John was preaching about a Messiah who was yet to come, and Jesus was preaching as the king who had already come. So Jesus had an authority there that, that John the Baptist uh, did not have as the messenger. So in the, in the passage, we see Jesus calling Andrew and Peter to himself. And he was calling them now, though, to, I believe, a deeper level of discipleship than we had seen back in John chapter 1 last week when Andrew met Jesus. Jesus said, come and see. Uh, when he said, where, do, where are you living? What are you doing? He said, well, go come and see. And then he got Peter, his brother, to come with him. But now this is a little different. This one he's saying, actually, just come now and, and follow me. And when we combine the information that we have from all the four Gospels, I think we can be pretty sure that Jesus, when he called out, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, that Andrew and Peter were just not traipsing after somebody, some strange guy that, that they'd never, ever met before. Um, if you just looked at Matthew's gospel, you don't know that. You don't, don't realize that this could be the first time they met, it could be the second, but, but we have enough information to know that Jesus and Peter and Andrew had a history here, at least a, a, some history there's a really good chance that uh, Peter and Andrew were with Jesus at the wedding feast of Cana, which was Jesus' very first miracle where he turned water into wine. If you, you look there in John chapter 2, verse 11, it says, This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And we see this little phrase down there, and his disciples believed in him. And so there's this idea that they were disciples even before they believed because they had started to follow Jesus. So we see this, this process going on here. The, the, at the moment we start to follow Jesus, to investigate him, to, to try to see, is this guy the king of kings? Is he who he says he is? Is he the son of God? What difference does that make in my life? Then, then our discipleship process is started. And usually belief and salvation come in that process at some point. So... If his disciples believed in him, Jesus' disciples, it's very likely that Andrew and possibly Peter were, again, among that group up in Cana. And then we find that after they left that wedding feast, it says there were some unnamed disciples of Jesus who spent time with him also in Capernaum. And we know that Jesus is in Capernaum now. And so he's going along the Sea of Galilee, calling these fishermen to himself. And so after this, after the wedding, Jesus went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his, and his disciples. So it's saying Jesus already had some disciples here, and they stayed there for a few days. Now, A.B. Bruce uh, is a New Testament scholar who, who wrote a book many years ago that's become a classic called The Training of the Twelve. And uh, A.B. Bruce, among several others, suggests that the Twelve were really invited to discipleship probably like in three stages. At the very beginning, they were doing some sort of events with Jesus, going to some occasions like the wedding feast at Cana, spending some time with him at Capernaum, but they still had their jobs. They were still at home. They were still doing things. It was just kind of like they were getting to know Jesus. They were, they were following him, but not with a full, full-time devotion. And then the second stage would be where they were invited to actually go and follow Jesus and to really learn from him, to be trained by him on a more full-time kind of a basis, learning from him. 
I believe that's probably what this stage is, where Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, would be that second stage. Now, there's a third stage that Bruce and others uh, would, would point to, and I think they're on target. And that is that Jesus, over time, had a lot of disciples. He had more than 12 disciples. I mean, we, 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 we see that there were just large groups. He sends out 70 disciples at one time. So what we find happening here is that as Jesus got a larger and larger group of disciples, that he then chose 12 out of those group of disciples, and he called them apostles. We see this in Matthew 10. So Matthew 2, we find Jesus calling Andrew and Peter. And then later on in chapter 10, we see Andrew and Peter again, but they're named among the 12. So it seems like this is a bit of a separate call. So and he called to him 12 disciples. He had many disciples. He called 12 of them. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. And the names of the 12 are these. First, Simon, who is also called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And then we have the other 10 listed out there. But here we have Andrew and Peter. Now taking up a notch still once again to this call to apostleship, to be sent once. So as we look at these stages for us today in discipleship, I just kind of popularly speaking here, I think we could say general stages of discipleship. The first stage is just kind of hang out with Jesus to get to know him. Okay, that's what most of us ended up doing. We started hanging out with Christians. We started hanging out with the Bible. We wanted to just kind of get to know who this Jesus guy is. And then the second stage would be when you kind of take it up a notch. And, and, and you, then you decide, well, I'm, I'm really willing to follow him. I believe he is the Messiah. I believe he's the Savior. I believe he's the only one who can actually save me. And, and so even now we're starting to get at some level of personal cost. We're, we're giving up some other things. We're giving up maybe some time at home. We're, we're t- making our work have to fit into some of our discipleships. Up. And, and even family, we're, we're starting to put Jesus ahead of some of these other things. And then the third stage for us would, would be that we, we start to serve Jesus as gospel-proclaiming, disciple-making, kingdom-displaying, self-sacrificing, God-pleasing mission as our own. We, we, we start to get really serious, not just about being a learner of Jesus, but to start to being a disciple-maker with Jesus. And guys, I, I hope that no matter which one of these you're in, Right now, this stage, maybe just hanging out with Jesus a little bit. Maybe you decide, I really want to learn. I'm committed. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a believer. Uh, he's got a priority in my life. But I hope we're all going to get to that stage three of kind of being the sent ones, where, where as a true disciple of Jesus, we take on his mission and we start to become disciple makers ourselves. Now, but before we really try to identify this stage of discipleship that we might be in, I want us to look back at Matthew 4, 18 to 22, just a little bit more, to consider some of the biggest commitments, those sort of life-altering, life-forming commitments that just about every human being makes, life-shaping commitments. And we'll look at these here. One of those is where we live. You know, where we live does tend to kind of shape us. And we have a very mobile society here in the U.S. right now. But the choice of where am I going to plant my roots, where am I going to live, is a really big choice. And it does end up shaping our lives. A second one is our commitment to parents and family. 
in, including our spouse, who, who, who we end up marrying. That, that's one of these big life-shaping decisions for every human being. Um, a third one, our religious convictions. Uh, who are we going to worship? What are we going to worship? How are we going to worship? Those convictions there shape us. And then the fourth one is, uh, what do we do vocationally? What am I going to do in my life? Or, you know, college, what, what's my major going to be? What am I going to study? As you get out, you know, my job, is it time to reinvent myself? Is it time for a second career? What, what we do vocationally also ends up having a huge impact on our lives. And so when, when Jesus made this call to Andrew and to Peter as they were on the boat or as they were out there uh, casting out their, their nets, Jesus actually was telling all these four guys, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, he said, I have authority over all those four commitments. Every one of those, if you're going to follow me, then that means I am the supreme king, and as the supreme king, I, I choose where you live. I, I get to choose how your relationships go. Ideally, I, I get to choose how you marry. I get to choose your religious convictions as to who you worship, what you worship, how you worship, and that's ultimately going to be worshiping me and my Father and the Holy Spirit. And vocationally, I have authority over what you do with your life in terms of, of, of your job. Uh, because Jesus was actually calling for an allegiance to himself that supersedes every other single allegiance that we could have. His allegiance to King Jesus goes above our allegiance to our nation, allegiance to our family, allegiance to our religion, allegiance to our work, every other allegiance that the kingdoms of this world can offer. Jesus demands authority over those. Now, I am really enjoying my life right now. I, um, I love living in Williamsburg. I have my daughter, my son-in-law, and two of my three grandkids within about a mile of my house. Uh, I'm really uh, happy with my work. I don't want to move. Uh, I've been working on the house, trying to get it fixed up the way that my wife and I would really like it to live there for the rest of our years, as long as the mini Lord gives us. And I, I just don't want to leave here. But, you know, living in that comfort zone can actually become quite a danger zone for me. Because if Jesus calls me to follow him to a different place and I'm not willing to go, I've got a problem. So I have to hold on very lightly to the moment that I'm having here right now and enjoy this and say, Lord, you know, I'm enjoying this, but you have authority over where I live. And if you choose to call me, as you did Abraham in his 90s, to pack up and leave and go someplace else, oh, God, I want to be that guy. I, I want to be willing to do that. Jesus also claimed a devotion that was deeper than the love given to parents, the love given to family members, um, because Jesus said, I'm actually giving you a brand new family. And we see that Jesus modeled this himself. We will recall that Jesus' mother and his brothers came to get him one day when he was in a house teaching and he had just healed a man and all these crowds were around him and they, they were concerned about Jesus' health, physical health, his mental health. And they said, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are outside. 
And, and Jesus says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? This is my mother and my brother. He who does the will of my father in heaven, that is my mother, that is my brother and my sister. So <clears throat> Jesus understood that allegiance to the family of God as radical as it may seem and as un untasteful as it may seem to some of us even, allegiance to the family of God has an allegiance that's actually higher at times than the allegiance to our own families. Um, when Jesus said this, it was scandalous. I mean, it was scandalous for James and John to leave their dad Zebedee in that boat. And it was scandalous for Jesus to have asked them to do that. And when he said, follow me, he claimed authority over their religious beliefs as well. Um, these guys had grown up Jewish. They were Hebrews. Um, but as we saw last week or last year in the book of Mark, when we looked at the disciples, we saw that they were really slow on the uptake sometimes. They just didn't really get it. Jesus had to tell them something three times, and they still weren't quite getting it. So that gives us hope for us when we're kind of slow on the uptake. But A.B. Bruce has a, a quote here that I think is, is pretty insightful. If I can get to it. I'm stuck here, guys. Did I do something? Or can you, can you advance the slides? The arrow on the computer. Oh, the arrow on the computer? Let me try one here. Is it this one down? Here we go. Nope. Let go back. Click it out one again. Gotta go back. Well, it's not here. Okay. Um, maybe I'm misgetting this slide. Let me just read it for you guys. He said, at the time of their call. They were exceedingly ignorant, narrow-minded, superstitious, full of Jewish prejudices, misconceptions, and animosities. They had much to unlearn of what was bad, as well as much to learn of what was good, and they were slow both to learn and to unlearn. So that, that was the 12, that was the disciples. And I don't know about you guys, but, but the Holy Spirit is still revealing blind spots to me. Areas that I've just been ignorant of forever. Narrow-mindedness. I'm not really superstitious. I haven't had much of that, but I have had some prejudices. And, and, and the Lord in His mercy reveals my prejudices to me and tells me that, that they have to go. Um, I have had misconceptions, I've had animosities, all these things that I would hope would have been gone by now. 62 years old, why am I still doing these things? So I still have much more to learn, and I still have some things to unlearn. But when we answer Jesus' call to follow me, it, it is to recognize his rightful authority over my theology, his rightful authority over my faith and practices. And then when Jesus said to the disciples, I will make you fishers of men, he was claiming authority over their vocations, over their livelihoods. Uh, even more, he was promising, guys, I'm going to make you fishers of men, not just fishermen, but fishers of men. He says, being my disciple means I'm going to make you into a disciple maker. So, guys, whatever our earthly vocations uh, Jesus can take that vocation and turn it into something for the kingdom's mission to be a making disciples as we partner with him. Now, in Matthew chapter 4, we see that 
when Jesus called Peter and Andrew, it says immediately, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And when Jesus called James and John, immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. Obviously, these guys didn't know all that was going on. They didn't have a clue as to everything that they were getting into. They didn't know what they had to unlearn. They didn't know what they had to learn. But they got one thing right. And it's what theologians will, will call sometimes the supremacy of Christ. They realized that Jesus was more important than anything else they had going in their lives. He was the supreme king who deserved allegiance over place and family and religion and work and everything else. As we look back in Scripture, Old Testament to New, we see that Jesus is a better Adam. Jesus is a better Noah. Jesus is a better Abraham. Jesus is a better Moses. Jesus is a better David. Jesus is a better temple. Jesus is supreme. And he is worthy of worship. And he's worthy of obedience. And he's worthy to give our lives to. So as the supreme king that, that he was... Jesus surrendered to God the Father's authority over him. Think about it. Jesus submitted to the Father about where he was going to live. He submitted to the Father about where he was going to be born. He submitted to the Father about having to go to Egypt as a refugee. God had authority over the place where Jesus was. Jesus surrendered his life to God over the allegiance to his family. Uh, we, we've already had an illustration of that, saying, you know, my mother and my brother are the ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. Je Jesus submitted the authority of God for his faith, for his teachings. He said, I don't teach what I want to teach. I teach what the Father tells me to teach. I do what I see the Father showing me to do. And Jesus allowed the Father to have authority over his vocation, whether that was being a carpenter in a little shop in Nazareth or being a preacher who was going around the countryside to being a savior who hung upon a cross and rose again from the dead. You see, as our supreme king, I cannot think of one thing that Jesus calls you and me to do that he hasn't already done for us. And, and so what, what excuse could we ever have for denying a supreme king who has loved us so much who has done what Jesus has done to save us. You see, the discipleship is about increasingly understanding and living according to the supremacy of Christ, that he is first. John the Baptist gave a little clue to this when he said, he must increase, but I must decrease because he is supreme. Jesus does not expect us to do this, thankfully, on our own, in our own power, but he sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to reproduce his character and his mind in us so that we have the power to do what he's calling us to do. Now, I just want to get back to the, the big idea again here. When, when Jesus the King calls you to follow, the, the right answer is never, ever, let me check my availability. The right answer is get up and get moving. It's to leave your nets, leave your boat, leave whatever you're doing because Jesus is supreme. When we were in college way back in the day, 76 to 80, we were attending a church that had something called Boys Brigade and Pioneer Girls. And my wife was uh, 
junior in college and doing a pioneer girl one-on-one -on -one kind of relationship with her gal, pioneer girl and gal. Her gal was like in sixth grade, beautiful young girl named Stacy. And Stacy grew up in a Christian home and she knew the truths of scripture. But when Celia calls Stacy to take this step of commitment and to, to follow Jesus as her Lord and Savior, Stacy said, Miss Celia, you know, I know all this stuff and I, I, I believe it. But she said, I just see my friends having so much fun. I, I just want to have a little fun right now. And when I'm out of high school, maybe when I'm in college, I think then I'll get serious about my faith. Well, thankfully, Stacy did get serious about her faith. And I, think she, I believe, to my knowledge, she's still walking with, with Jesus. But um, delayed obedience is, is disobedience. And we see Jesus talking about this with a couple of other situations later on in Luke chapter 9, where he, someone's talking about wanting to, wanting to follow him. And he says, well, come, follow me. And one of them says, you know, well, let me bury my dad first. And Jesus says, sorry, that's too late. And another one says, well, let me go say goodbye to my family. And Jesus says, no, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of following me. So con considering the supremacy of King Jesus and all that he's done to save us, um, following after him is, just makes sense, right? Not following after him is not only an offense to his kingship, but it's not good for us. So brothers, have you responded in obedience to the call of King Jesus to be his disciple this morning? I, I, I certainly hope so. And if you have, inside of that call to be a disciple, it's wrapped up this beautiful little call also to be a disciple maker. And if you have made that decision and, and yet you say, I'm not really yet a disciple maker. I don't really know how to do that. Boy, we... we we on the staff and some other guys here, we just absolutely love to sit down with you. I'm just convinced that there are a lot of guys who want to do this, who know that's what God has designed them to do, but they're just not quite feeling prepared or equipped or trained to do it yet. That's partly on us, guys. We're here, according to Ephesians 4, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And we would love to have that privilege in your life to help you become not only the disciple who knows a lot of facts about Jesus, not only has information, but has transformation and has been turned by Jesus into a fisher of men who is making disciples of others. So if, if we had been here this morning together all in a room, we would have had some um, time probably sitting in circles and to go through some discussion questions as a group. I'd like to give you a couple of those questions here this morning as we close out. And... Uh, encourage you to call one of your brothers or call two. Get, a, get on a FaceTime or, or go down on Duke of Gloucester Street when the rain stops and sit at one of those tables and go through some of these discussion questions after you've listened to the message. But where do you locate yourself right now in the discipleship process? Would Jesus describe you as one of the crowd or as one of his disciples? See, I think I'm, I actually missed a point in my message here this morning because Matthew goes all the way through and he's all, dividing people all the time into either they were part of the crowd or they were part of the disciples. And there, there was very little middle ground for Matthew. You were either the crowd or you were a disciple. The crowd went after Jesus because of the miracles and because of what he could do for him, the way that he was able to heal people and feed people and, and make people uh, healthier. 
But the disciples followed after Jesus because they were willing to pay the cost of self-sacrifice and, and they were willing to follow him for him as the supreme king. So would, would you describe yourself as one of the crowd or as one of the disciples? Secondly, if you are a disciple, in which of the three stages do you see yourself? Are you hanging out with Jesus to get to know him? Are you following him at some level of personal cost? You believe in him, you, you've committed to him, you, you're putting him in a first place of priority in your life? Or are you at that other stage of serving Jesus, gospel-proclaiming, disciple-making, kingdom-displaying, self-sacrificing, God-pleasing mission as if it were your own? That's the goal for us, guys, that, that last stage. So wherever you are in this stage, if wherever you happen to be, you have a number of pastors and folks around that want to help you take those next steps. So I'm praying for you. I, I hope that you will have a great weekend and we'll be able to be back here next Friday. Let, let me close this in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for these examples of, of Andrew and Peter and James and John who got to know who Jesus was and recognized him as the Supreme King, Messiah, who was already here. Thank you, Lord, for their immediate response of obedience that just models for me what you delight to see. Lord, thank you also for those other examples of people who wanted to check their availability before they followed you, who said, let me take care of my, my father or let me go say goodbye to my family. Lord, thank you that um, we, we have these truths of Scripture to not only encourage us but to challenge us to see you as the rightful king, to, to grasp just the glimpse of the supremacy of the Messiah Christ. Lord, I pray for my brothers who are watching this morning. I, I pray that your spirit would minister in their minds and hearts, that you would continue to bring about repentance, that you would continue to bring about the truths of your kingdom and your kingship in our lives. And the Lord, as we hang out with you and we get to know you and as we start to really put our faith in you and trust you, that you would turn us into fishers of men and that we would not only be disciples, but that we would become disciple makers who make disciple makers. We pray this, Lord, for the glory of the Father, for the furtherance of your mission, that we might be found faithful as we wait and watch for your return. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.